the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. We've talked a fair amount in recent days about Elon Musk, about his possible impact on Twitter. Thought he was going to be on the board. He is not on the board, as we told you yesterday. Might give him more freedom. A lot of people speculating about what he might do in terms of Twitter. And I thought it'd be very helpful to bring in someone who has sat in meetings with Elon Musk and has observed him at much closer range than the rest of it. He is Dr. Jeff Heyman, Dean of the School of Business at Cedarville University. Dr. Heyman, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. So as you have observed Elon Musk near and far, tell people who don't have your perspective what your impressions of him are. Uh, Well, first of all, I I would suggest that all of us get a lot of uh, Elon's insights directly. He's a very public persona, and what you see in private meetings are kind of similar the the, the way he acts in public. He's a very driven man. He's a very visionary man. And, and so in, in the meetings that I've been in with him early days of launching in the Air Force, uh, I mean, he would uh, very clearly say he had a vision for what space could be. He'd studied long and hard, he said, uh, of every accident failure that we'd ever had and thought he had a better way to do launch systems. Uh, and very confident, as, as, as not, not necessarily supremely so, but quite confident that he had a better way to do business, which is what we all know about Elon watching him over the years for, for his various endeavors, whether it be SpaceX, Tesla, uh, et cetera. Is he the kind of person who, from your uh, observation of him, uh, has an idea and is uh, locked into that idea, or is he open to other suggestions and maybe continually questioning his view of things? I think he's very open, but you better have your A game on in terms of uh, he respects intelligence and those that, that, that know what they're talking about. So, so yeah, he'd, he'd definitely be open to, to argument, but, but clearly when he's taking a position on something, he's thought about it already quite a bit. So, so it's, it's for you to get have a countervailing uh, opinion, <laughs> you're really going to have to know your stuff, but I think he would definitely be open to that. Dr. Jeff Heyman, Dean of the School of Business at Cedarville University, our guest. And I'm curious, what's his vision for SpaceX? I mean, as I observed Jeff Bezos and, and, and Blue Origin, that seems to me to be just more of a lark, uh, a guy who has uh, the financing to go into space. But I tend to think uh, Elon Musk might have uh, greater goals, greater vision. What Has he ever articulated that in meetings you've been around in terms of what he thinks SpaceX can accomplish and the good that can come from it? Well, sure. I mean, in the early days, and, and, and to be honest, I, I've been out of the Air Force in that for a long time, so I, I haven't heard from him in many years. But in the very early days, he was very he was committed to making the, the United States the, the premier space power in, in the world again. He, I mean, he looked at what we had done, you know, in the 1960s and, and 70s, and thought, thought we need to be recreating. We're not we're not doing what we should be to, to lead the space industry. Uh, he he didn't like what he saw with uh, Lockheed Martin and and Boeing was the way they did launch, and he thought he could do a better approach as well. Uh, so it was all about uh, really kind of pursuing 
in his mind, a much stronger space capability. He said we need to be a space-faring uh, nation, and as he's gone on subsequently to say, we need to be a space-faring species. I mean, he's, he has kind of some wild ideas about interplanetary uh, kinds of things that he wants to do. Um, so, so uh, you know, when we when, in the early days, we often kidded for for those of us that were in the Air Force launch. What's what's the easiest way to be a millionaire? Is to be a billionaire and start a rocket company because for for many years, of course, it's a it's a losing venture. But he sure has uh, uh, made it work with uh, with his 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 platform now. Well, and you know, the thing about him is he's uh, I think a transformative figure, certainly in the automotive industry, the space exploration industry. And I think everybody's wondering uh, what is his vision for Twitter. I would call Twitter kind of our our uh, our public square now, and he's been very open about the need for free speech in that space. When you heard of his investment in Twitter, nine point two percent, I believe, four times that of Jack Dorsey. What entered your mind then about what his end game might be, and then we'll pursue, you know, what has been kind of a valley and peak experience here where he was going to be on the board then he backed out of being on the board but let's just stick first of all to the purchase what did you uh surmise might be behind that well i mean again mr musk is not one to, to hide his grand plans uh whether it be tesla whether it be spacex or whether it be twitter he's he said very clearly as you said the public square aspect he he thinks free speech is something we ought to protect He's not happy, along with many what we would call the classical liberals that don't like kind of a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the the shouting down of people. Now we have of, of, of what we uh, um, don't don't like to have other views in college campuses, other kinds of things. So since he suggested Twitter is the public square, the fact that Twitter only allows one kind of viewpoint to be expressed. Uh, he doesn't like that. So he wants to change it. So he'd used prior to this, should he start his own social media company? And, and the easiest way uh, to, to do that is, well, just buy one <laughs> sure. when you have the wealthy. He has. Uh, so, so I was happy about that. And, and uh, as, as you think about it, the stock was up rather markedly uh, when he did that. Because, because obviously, if, if Twitter as a company is, is really alienating a large – I mean, let's face it, we are a 50-50 country. And so they're they're basically uh, enabling one fifty percent of the population, but that's alienating necessarily another fifty percent. Is there a possibility of of allowing a more nuanced, balanced approach to to this that could bring in more customers, more uh, market share, and make a more valuable company? And I think the market was saying, yeah, there, there is a possibility of doing that. Dr. Jeff Heyman is our guest. He is a professor of economics and the dean of the School of Business at Cedarville University. We are discussing Elon Musk and Dr. Heyman's interactions and uh, experience with Elon Musk during uh, Dr. Heyman's years in the Air Force. So uh, Musk has talked about uh, Mars. What's his view of Mars exploration and habitation, things like that? You said a little while ago, at least I took you to say that some of his ideas might be construed by some people as a little bit out there, but... I mean, that's how visionaries work. Their ideas, I think, universally are always out there at the beginning. Absolutely. I mean, his, his vision of Mars is, is as, as I relate to someone uh, just yesterday, I don't think you can make a business case for SpaceX to go to Mars. But, but, but here's the thing. You don't have to yet. He, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to go to Mars because I think we need to do it. Mm. And along the way, I'm going to figure out a way to make a business model that will make this work. I, and, and I don't know that he knows what it is. I mean, there's probably lots of a million 
uh, crazy ideas that could potentially be. Is there space travel to Mars? I mean, of course, at some level, we can hypothesize if, if this were something that could be done safely and you only were gone a month or something, you can imagine people would want to do that. How cool would that be? Uh, it, but obviously the cost and everything else. So, so where's the model where it closes, where you can make a profit? I, I don't see it today. So, so, but some visionaries are willing to say, I don't care if this part of my business line doesn't make money because I'll make so much money over here. I can fund that because I just think we need to do it. So I think it's more that lack phase today, but there's this expectation, hey, if, if we get this capability, there may be some unintended business uh, opportunities that we may uh, accrue in the pursuit of that dream. So, so yeah, I think that's what's going on with him right now. I'd be really curious, given your experience in the Air Force and you were uh, specializing in engineering and satellite control launch operations, I'm sure you have thoughts about what we see taking place in Ukraine, and there's been this request from uh, Volodymyr Zelensky for uh, MIGs or for, you know, uh, apparatus that will help him uh, maintain security over the skies of Ukraine. There's a lot of, I think, new uh, things we're learning about how wars need, unfortunately, need to be fought in this era. Drones and the utility or not of tanks, things like that. As a military guy, what's your observation of what you see strategically playing out in Ukraine? Well, I mean, strategic, this is, obviously we're changing gears, and that's, that's great uh, because this is actually much more important. I mean, the, the, the bigger, biggest overarching thing that I, I think all of our, our foreign policy leaders are thinking about is, is what does this mean in, the, in this big conflict between autocracy and democracy? Uh, I mean, there's a different model between China and Russia and how they see the world running and kind of the Western democracies. Uh, and uh, is, is freedom something that should be allowed or should it be top-down driven? And so that's the overarching conflict that everything else flows out of it. So, so, so this particular thing with Ukraine and Russia, Russia wants to continue to have the, uh, the, the hegemony over its near, near neighbors. It, it has ch- I mean, clearly Putin has, has, as he's publicly stated, has, has chafed at the West's uh, ability to have uh, some of its former uh, satellite nations uh, fall into the NATO umbrella, and they certainly uh, don't like the idea of Ukraine uh, being being part of that as well. So, so back to the military conflict, then, that, that's the strategic thing. Now we got to get an attack with me. I mean, we need to get this guy uh, as, as much help as we can. The reason, in my estimation, the reason we did not do more, it's pretty clear, not only did the Russians, but every single intelligence agency, every single country thought that, that Ukraine was going to fall in a matter of days. Mm-hmm. And the idea of sending a whole bunch of stuff over there, prepositioned to just give it to the, to the Russians, is not particularly high on anybody's priority list. But surprisingly, shockingly, the Ukrainians fought back. And, and wow, have they, they, they done so. And, and so now we're in this catch-up mode. And, and uh, unfortunately, it seems like the Biden administration is still in the catch-up mode. We still seem to have lagged, uh, in, in part because what we're hearing in the public press, of course, is that uh, Mr. Biden is very, uh, uh, he's very concerned with not escalating, that word escalation. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, I mean, in the reality, the escalation happened uh, initially when we had 70,000 Russian troops on Ukraine's border. And we had months of knowing this was getting ready to happen. You know, it seems like we should have prepared more. We should have been pre- ready to act faster. So we're in catch-up mode, and, and that's what we're seeing this destructive uh, uh, kind of thing going on. So uh, yours truly, and I think many Americans, are saying we need to find a way to win. The, the goal here should not be to have sanctions such that after he goes in and takes over the country, he eventually decides it wasn't worth it and leaves. That, that I think, was the strategy 
that's you know just from an outside observer today. Uh, but now the question has to become: How do we have Ukraine defeat Russia uh, at this point? Yeah, that, they seem hesitant to uh, to announce that as a goal. Our guest is Dr. Jeff Heyman, Cedarville University Dean of the School of Business. He had 29 years in the U.S. Air Force. So let me finish with this one: uh, Can the Ukrainians win this if they don't get fighter jets? Can they win it with anti-aircraft missiles? Can they win it with drones? Is there a way they can win this? without the kind of weaponry that they're asking for, which are the MiGs from Poland that we would then uh, backfill with our own planes, which so far the request has been made and a lot of people recommend it and a lot of people are asking for it, but the president has yet to do it. I don't think MiGs are are the answer, the answer, but it's part of it for sure. Uh, I mean, the question is not can they win. The question is at what price? I mean, we've already seen Ukraine has paid a terrible price. Mm. In fact, uh, you know, and I, I hate to see some of our American commentators almost seeming uh, saying, hey, they should just lose quicker so that they stop having their people be killed. Uh, I, I've just been very disappointed in seeing some comments uh, that, that reflect that. Uh, you know, it, you know, we, we shouldn't uh, encourage someone to just be subjugated by a, a ruthless, brutal dictator in that regard. So, so yeah, they can they can win over the longer term. How much territory they lose uh, if we supply them enough of the kinds of things we're doing, and and daily the the weapons are becoming more lethal, uh, better. But we, we've seen reports now of gas strikes on Mariupol and, and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I think we need to do more. We need to do faster. And uh, every, everything that we don't do makes the more, more people die in Ukraine while this goes on because we don't act. Uh, and, again, it's, it's that, that balancing act. Uh, it's easy for you and I and all of our listeners to, to be kind of that Monday morning quarterback when we don't have the, the responsibility if the, the Russians then decide to escalate and throw a, a tactical nuke on Ukraine, and then what do we do? And there's still a, that, 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 These are all the things that are legitimate reasons, yet, yet the, the end result is still uh, it, we're not providing enough to, to get to victory. Yeah, well said. Dr. Jeff Heyman, he is the dean of Cedarville's Business School. Uh, thank you for your perspective on Elon Musk and on the war in Ukraine. I appreciate your perspective very much. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. You've got smoke all around you and then gunshots and people. So we have some detail from New York City where this morning, shortly after 8.30 a.m., a person on a subway train uh, brought a canister out of a backpack or his jacket, uh, opened the canister, began to fill the train with smoke, and then opened fire. Great news uh, that while there are 10 gunshot victims, uh, all 10 are alive. And five are in critical but stable condition. No casualties. 16 total victims, 10 with gunshot wounds, uh, five in critical or stable condition. Here is New York City Police Commissioner Kenshin Sewell on what occurred this morning. We're here to update New Yorkers about an active shooting incident that took place this morning inside the 36th Street subway station on the N-Line. I want to begin by assuring the public that there are currently no known explosive devices on our subway trains, and this is not being investigated as an act of terrorism at this time. We can also report that although this was a violent incident, reportedly we have no one with life-threatening injuries as a result of this case. 
This investigation is only hours old, so please note this information is subject to change. Just before 8.24 this morning, as a Manhattan-bound N-train waited to enter the 36th Street station, an individual on that train donned what appeared to be a gas mask. He then took a canister out of his bag and opened it. The train at that time began to fill with smoke. He then opened fire, striking multiple people on the subway and in the platform. Again, we will describe him as an individual. He is being reported as a male black, approximately five feet, five inches tall with a heavy build. He was wearing a green construction type vest and a hooded sweatshirt. The color is gray. So that is Kenshin Sewell, the police commissioner of the city of New York. Uh, Governor Kathy Hochul, remember she got the job when Andrew Cuomo was um, summarily moved aside because of his uh, bad COVID policy and sexual harassment. Uh, Kathy Hochul taking the podium and, um, well, uh, this is what she had to say. This morning, ordinary, ordinary New Yorkers woke up in anticipation of a relatively normal day. They left their homes en route to school, en route to their jobs, and to a normal day, as I mentioned. That sense of tranquility and normalness was disrupted, brutally disrupted, by an individual so cold-hearted and depraved of heart that they had no caring about the individuals that they assaulted as they simply went about their daily lives. This individual is still on the loose. This person is dangerous. They're asking individuals to be very vigilant and alert. You'll get more reports on specificity as the day goes on. So this is an active shooter situation right now in the city of New York. I just got off the phone with the mayor. He's recovering well, he is monitoring, he's actively engaged in the situation. I wanted to let him know that the people of the entire state of New York stand with the people of this city, this community, and we say no more. No more mass shootings. No more disrupting lives. No more creating heartbreak for people just trying to live their lives as normal New Yorkers. It has to end. It ends now. And we are sick and tired of reading headlines about crime, whether they're mass shootings or the loss of a teenage girl or a 13-year-old. It has to stop. Well, then do something to stop it. And that something to stop it is not prosecutors who refuse to hold people accountable for stealing because it's under a certain threshold. It's not cutting sentences because prison is racist because half the prison population are black males. You can't have it both ways where you stand up there in the aftermath of something like this and prattle on and on and on with empty rhetoric like that stated often by our own mayor, Columbus's Andrew Ginther, that this has to stop, we're not going to put up with this anymore. You don't have any power to say it ends now. It shows a complete detachment from the complexity of fixing these issues that you think that saying simple sentences, as if you can speak good behavior out of criminals into being shows how detached from reality you are. Well, yesterday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced a $70 million initiative to 
increase the presence of fathers in homes where children are growing up without fathers. He was joined at the announcement by Tony Dungy, former coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, commentator on NBC's Football Night in America. Tony Dungy is a black male who started uh, an initiative called All Pro Dad. Tony Dungy was roundly demonized on social media after appearing with Ron DeSantis yesterday for daring to associate with a conservative Republican like DeSantis because he's deemed to be LGBTQ intolerant. A guy demonized for trying to get more dads have influence over their life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.